Hello, I'm Andrew Giordano. This story is called Heat Death of the Universe from the book collection Machine of Death. For more information, please visit machineofdeath.net. Heat Death of the Universe by James Foreman. I met Maggie at a keg party in the backyard of the head cheerleader's house. The cheerleader didn't know I was there and probably would have objected to my presence. I was a nerd. I didn't earn acceptance from my peers until we were too old and too jaded about high school cliques to care. Maggie and I had been at the same school since junior high, but we had never really met each other before. She was a name on a roster, another face in the background noise. She was tall for her age and had knobby knees and a flat chest, and a nose that was a little too big. But I thought she was beautiful. Seeing her at the party again, in different and unusual circumstances, was like waking up and everything seeming smaller than it was before. I had seen Maggie every day for years, but suddenly she was the most beautiful girl I had ever seen. Before that moment, before I saw her laughing over the rim of a red plastic cup, I don't think I even noticed girls. We got off to a good start. We talked a while and shared a drink or two in the freshly cut grass, giggling. Later, I held her hair back while she puked in the kitchen sink. Maggie had too much Jägermeister, drawn by its sweet smell and licorice taste. She'd always liked licorice. Between bouts of gut-twisting heaves, Maggie cursed the liquor companies for making the stuff taste exactly like her favorite candy. Childhood to adulthood, things don't change as much as they used to. Maggie blames commercialism and the corporations. I think I agree with Stephen Hawking. I read his book during my sophomore year. The other kids would have made fun of me if they hadn't gotten that out of their collective system in junior high. They were too busy getting laid and trying to get laid and trying to get into good colleges. I had already been accepted with a big scholarship because I had discovered a new kind of algae in the stream near my grandparents' house. It was just a science project to me, but to college admissions departments it was as if I had rushed for a million yards last football season. I had scholarship offers and ended up going to the school that Maggie was going to. I told my parents that I had picked the state university because I had read that graduate programs matter much more than undergraduate programs, and that I should go to a big state school for undergrad because I needed the social acculturation that happens at those kinds of places. They agreed with me, or at least let me have my way, because that new kind of algae made them think I was smarter than they were. I'm not as smart as everybody thinks I am. When I tell people that I'm not as smart as they think I am, they think I'm being modest. I keep expecting to wake up one day and know that I'm that smart and be comfortable with it and be able to think my way through any problem and come to the right conclusion every time. Like there's a door locked in my mind and if I could unlock it, everything would be fine. And I would be a modern day Mozart. I'll never be Mozart though. I played the baritone tuba in junior high band and faked my way through it. I never even learned how to key or read the music, I just pretended. I wonder if Stephen Hawking tells people that he's not as smart as people think he is. According to Hawking, all this certainty is going to be bad for us. We spent the first few billion years of our collective existence scrambling through a random universe full of uncertainty, pain, suffering, and unpredictability. Hawking thought that if you put a little bit of order in the chaotic soup of human existence, then the order will crystallize and spread itself throughout the whole human experience. Life will either get very boring or very interesting in the Chinese sense.
There's some debate about what this would look like because nothing like it has ever happened. Some people think Hawking is wrong and that a little bit of order and a whole lot of chaos is no more effective than an ice cube dropped in a lava flow. Others believe that it's going to be the social equivalent of metal fatigue, simultaneous across the whole planet. Civilizations will shatter like an icicle. Too much order is worse than too much chaos. We evolved in chaos. We survived chaos. Life thrives in chaos. I thought about that a lot during our senior year. The chaos of high school and all the politics of it and the cliques sort of dissolved and became more permeable. Nobody cared about that stuff anymore. They cared about college and their new lives. High school 2.0. It was a kind of order of its own. Though I thought it was kind of temporary. Maggie and I visited a few colleges together and it seemed pretty chaotic to me. Maggie and I had sex for the first time right before our birthdays on December 31st. No liquor for us, no wine, no champagne. We hung out in the treehouse in her backyard, which had overgrown with spidery ivy and creeping, snaking tree branches. Her father was a contractor, so while it was in a tree, it was pretty well insulated, and two bodies in it warmed the place up pretty well, especially if those bodies were humping. I had heard that sex for the first time was always messy and weird and gross. But it wasn't for us. I had researched it a lot on the internet, but Maggie wasn't interested in the technicalities. She just wanted to be close to me. I'm scared, she said, after we did it and we were spooning on the floor of the treehouse, wrapped in the blanket I had bought from my house. It was blue and white, in a pattern like a summer sky with clouds on it. It was wool and scratchy and soft at the same time. I don't want to get my blood red. We don't have to, I said. Yes, we do, she said. My mom won't stop talking about it. Mom sucks sometimes, I said. Especially mine, she said. It's worse than when I had my period for the first time. She kept telling me it was going to happen soon. She bought me six kinds of maxi pads. I was afraid she was going to demonstrate how to use a tampon. Ew. Yeah, boys are lucky. She sighed and grabbed my hand and squeezed. I hope we get the same reading. Me too, I said. But it's okay if we don't. I guess so, she said. But what if I get car accident and you get drowning? Or what if I get cancer and you get old age? <laughs> Nobody gets old age, I said. Sometimes they do, she said. It's an urban legend, I said. Because nobody actually dies of old age. They die of cancer or something. That's not what my uncle says, she said. His friend in college pulled old age and he was killed by an old guy driving a car. <laughs> I don't think that's true, I said. It's too weird. Just because it's weird doesn't mean it doesn't happen, she said. Things like that happen all the time, like those people who pull stabbed and they fall on some broken glass. Or that lady who pulled hanged and got wrapped up in telephone wires when she jumped off her roof. That stuff happens. Yeah, I guess it does, I said. But it's rare. If that were always true, then nobody would get their blood red at all. People wouldn't be so secretive about their certs. There wouldn't be laws against having your blood red before you're 18. It, it would just be a, a joke, you know, like a horoscope. She didn't have an answer for that. I was the smart kid. People always thought my logic was perfect, even if they knew it wasn't, because I was smarter. I don't want to know how I'm going to die, she said finally. 
It doesn't seem fair. Everybody does it. They still live their lives. Some of them, she said, a reference to her uncle, the black sheep of her family. He had pulled gunshot and got scared and moved to the wilderness out west somewhere. We'll live ours, I said, together. I squeezed her tight for emphasis. Yeah, she said, together. If order really were crystallizing across the whole quantum stratum of human existence, then Maggie would have turned out to be my sister or something. But that didn't happen. We had our blood drawn at the doctor's office. Our families let us go by ourselves. I drove us in my mom's tours. The salt-stained tires plowed twin canals through the clunky, gray slush. The snow unspooled from the roof in loose white ribbons. Maggie and I had the same doctor. He had a machine in his office and did the readings. He drew a little bit of blood and put it into a little receptacle on the machine. It looked like a big laser printer, smooth white plastic and blinking green lights. In a few minutes, the machine hummed and something inside it spun and the humming grew louder and shook the floor a little. He smiled at us, arms folded. The machine printed out the certificates on special paper, the same pinkish color as those new $5 bills. He put them face down on a tray and handed them to us. Maggie and I had sat down on the examination table, butcher paper crinkling and creasing under us, bunching between us as Maggie scooted closer. The doctor left us alone. Maggie asked me if I was feeling nervous. I told her no, even though that was a lie and she could see it in my face. I can tell when you're nervous, she said. You look like you're reading small print when you're nervous. I am now, I said. Thanks. Oh, it's all right, she said, and put her hand on my leg. She was always misreading my sarcasm. If there were a chance I was nervous, she took it seriously. I was joking this time. I told her so. She nodded and held my hand. We can wait, she said. We'll just sit here. We don't have to turn it over at all. Nobody will ever know. We sat in silence for a long time. I told her later that I wanted to stay there forever. Our futures vibrating in the midpoint between knowing and not knowing. The moment stretched to fill a lifetime. Would that have been a state of order? Knowing either way is a switch flipped to either side. But what if you refuse to touch it? Is that order or chaos? History has turning points, moments around which pivot the events that follow. I sometimes imagined it to be a railroad switch that shunts a train from one path to another. Sometimes it's just a big pop, a whack of a stick and the pinata shatters and the candy pours out. I don't know when this moment happened. It might be when Maggie and I looked at our certificates together and she started crying and I put my arm around her. That's when my life changed. Because instead of warmth or closeness, I wanted to crawl away. The click of a cog. The next step. It sank into me. A realization made suddenly clear. A contrast from the moments that filled up our lives before. We weren't kids anymore and we weren't going to be together forever. 
The teenager's mind isn't ready for that. I pulled heat death of the universe. I already knew what that was, but I had to explain it to Maggie. I started to explain it to her to distract her from what she had pulled, because it was also pretty unique. My valiant efforts didn't work. Three days later, and we were sitting on her bed with her parents downstairs, worrying and worrying, filling the house with a sickly smell of anxiety. After all these years of having the blood readings, people were still slaves to it. Stephen Hawking would say that we're slaves to order, but it seemed pretty chaotic at Maggie's house. Maggie was worried and weepy. I couldn't blame her. Cancer or plane crash or heart attack were what you expected to pull, and those are things you can deal with. They seemed distant and unreal, like life was before we had the machine and its holograms and red-dyed paper, and you knew that because your grandparents both died of heart attacks that you were prone to that too. The machine gave us more order, but it didn't really take away the chaos. It means I'm going to live for a really long time, I said. I don't think anybody has pulled that. At least nobody I know of. I guess it's kind of a big deal. I've never heard of it, she said. I shrugged. It's when all the heat in the universe dies, right? Atoms stop spinning. It'll be really cold. It's all kind of theoretical, though. Well, and what? How long will you live? I was embarrassed. She was envious of me. I expected a lot of people would be. I didn't see what the big deal was, though. The woman I loved had pulled nuclear bomb. It's about ten centillion years away, I said. I looked it up. Is that a real number? Yeah. It's ten with a hundred zeros behind it. How could someone live that long? I shook my head and stared at my feet. I can't even imagine. Her hands were trembling. She ran her fingers through her hair and clutched her stomach. She was crying again. Other people will pull a nuclear bomb, she said. They have to. A nuclear bomb doesn't kill just one person. You have to stop obsessing about it, I said quietly. It's not helping anything. How can I not think about it, she said. I couldn't believe she still had enough water in her eyes to cry again, but she did. She cupped her hands over her face. I hated seeing her so sad. You can't do this, Maggie, I said. You just can't. We have to tell somebody about it, she said. This is something everybody needs to know. I don't think that's a good idea, I said. But what if you can't think about what ifs? You have to think about school and graduating, okay? If it's a problem, Somebody else will pull it. You know that's true. If there's going to be a nuclear bomb, then other people will get it, just like September 11th. That happened because people didn't talk about what they got. Do you think that would have helped? If they had told people what they got, then how do you know it wouldn't have happened anyway? It had to happen, Maggie. That's what they pulled. Don't you think it's weird that nobody told anybody else what they got? She was starting to raise her voice. I didn't want that to be our first argument. I put my hand on her knee. Don't tell me you believe that stuff, I said. Just because some guys on YouTube said it's a conspiracy doesn't mean it is. Have you watched it? No, I said. 
but I read about it. Look, Maggie, that's silly. There were thousands of people there. How would the government get them all to work at the same building? Or to fly on the same plane? The people in the Pentagon pulled missile, she said. It's true. That's just a rumor. It's an urban legend. Stop it, Maggie. I'm scared, she said. Her anger melted into convulsing sobs. I put my arm over her shoulder and hugged her close to me. After September 11th, Stephen Hawking didn't comment on the conspiracy because nobody had really thought about it. In a letter to the New York Times, he said that order was winning, even though it seemed like it wasn't. War and terrorism are agents of chaos, he said. But the Western world was the bastion of order, and that we would win. Bringing peace and democracy was just another way of bringing order. We were more powerful. We would win, and the Middle East would be quiet and peaceful. Eventually. The American military was the ice cube. I thought about that a lot. It was all over the news within a few days. Other people had pulled nuclear bomb and went public with it, but not Maggie. Her parents were pretty down on the government and went to war protests and things, and they were worried about what they would do with the information. They didn't want their daughter to be put through the ringer of the Patriot Act, which is what a lot of people were expecting. Since it was illegal to get your blood red before you were 18, and nobody older than that had pulled the nuke, everybody just assumed it was going to happen much later, decades down the road, when all 15 people who had pulled the nuke just happened to be in the same place at the same time where a nuclear bomb would go off. I didn't talk much about what I had pulled because it was so strange. It seemed so weird that somebody would live so long. It was crazy to even consider, but I was thinking about that a lot of the time, and thinking about how if you pulled something, it's pretty likely to happen. Within a few weeks, the FBI was all over our town. They were all over other towns too, like spiders, building webs between the nuclear kids, as the nuclear bomb pullers were being called by the press. The FBI interviewed me and asked me politely to see my cert which I did because I didn't want to cause trouble. There were two agents, a man and a woman. They seemed young, too young to be carrying guns around. The man saw my cert and scrunched his nose up and showed the woman, and she shook her head. What does that mean? She said to me. I shrugged. I'm not sure, I said. It was kind of a lie. Have you told anybody else? Just my girlfriend. My parents don't know. Why didn't you tell your parents? I didn't want them to worry. Then you do know what this means, she said, pointing to the cert in my hand. I sort of do, I said. It's when all the heat in the universe dies. It's sort of the end of the universe, I guess. That can't be real, she said, to me as if I were lying to her. That's what it says, I said. It's never wrong, is it? No, she said, shaking her head. No, it isn't. Hey, this kid's a genius, said the man who was looking at the trophy on my shelf. The trophy wasn't for being a genius, it was for a whiz kids competition a few years earlier. The woman looked over his shoulder at the trophy. A lot of kids win those. No, he invented something, right? Sort of, I said. An immortality machine, said the woman. I discovered a new kind of algae, I said. That's it, said the man, with holistic properties. No, I said, it's just algae. I thought I read somewhere, he said. It kills cancer or something. I haven't heard that, I said. Oh, 
I must have made it up. Sorry to bother you. It's okay, I said, relieved that they would be going. Hey, one more thing, he said. His partner put my shirt back on the desk. She hovered over it for a few moments, shaking her head, as if she still couldn't believe what it said. What did your girlfriend pull? She wouldn't tell me, I lied. She says it's private. But you told her yours, he said. Yeah, I said. You don't think it's private? It can be, I guess. But not to the kid who's going to live to the end of the universe, right? <laughs> yeah, I said. I guess so. I really didn't think about it much. Hey, if you ever find a cure for cancer, let me know, okay? He said, smirking. Yeah, sure, I said. Does it matter, though? If you pulled cancer, right? He looked at the woman who shrugged and walked out of the room. He looked back at me. I didn't pull cancer, he said. But you never know. Yeah, I said. I guess it wouldn't matter if he did. He chuckled and put his hands in his pockets. Cancer can cause a lot more than death. A surge is just how it ends, right? It's not the whole story. Sometimes you can feel the changes coming. You can't sleep right the night before, and you're tired and not dealing with your feelings very well. And you're not prepared for it when it happens. Maybe it's order asserting itself, freezing the top layers while the stew roils and boils underneath. Like when my mom puts chicken soup in the fridge so the fat rises to the top and hardens and she can ladle it out. I had a lot of nasty dreams about car accidents and jigsaw puzzles and big long scars on Maggie's face and her teeth falling out. The next day was the first day of school after the big New Year's break. There were police cars all over the parking lot and some government cars. I walked to homeroom and the man from the FBI was there. He nodded to me as I sat down at my desk. My homeroom teacher looked nervous and told me to have a seat. I wondered how Maggie was. You've probably heard on the news, she said. I hadn't, and a few other kids hadn't either. So she started to explain. She was having trouble finding the right words. There are a few other people who have pulled something that might not be good for the rest of us. And Agent Williams here is... Agent Williams, the FBI guy who looked too young to carry a gun, put his hand on her shoulder and stepped forward. No need to get excited, kids he said, because some others were starting to raise their hands. This is just a routine investigation. We got permission from the school board to have you all tested, in some cases, for the second time. He looked right at me and smirked a little. It's all going to be very smooth and organized, so I don't want anybody freaking out, okay? Nobody freaked out. They converted the gym to a big laboratory, with beds and curtains everywhere and the blood-reading machines set up in the corners. Some of the younger kids cried when they got their blood taken, but that was all. Doctors and nurses and other people in blue scrubs and lab coats were all over the place, carrying racks of samples into the machines. They put us in our homerooms and told us not to wander off, but the force of that authority was fading. The teachers looked more worried than the kids and weren't really paying attention. I didn't have the nerve to get up and find Maggie, but she would try to find me. I decided it was best to stay put. I sat on the gym floor with a few of the other kids, nerds like me, 
except while I had found a place all by myself in the wide, deep strata of high school culture, they had stuck together and taken the chess club and the computer club stratum as their own, as the previous nerds and geeks had graduated after initiating them. Now they were on top. The smartest kids in school. Well, except for me. Hey, Brian, said one of the nerds, the kid whose name I couldn't remember. I think he was Jake, but I never really cared to learn it. He was a junior. What did you pull? That's a personal question, I said, not taking my eyes away from the book I was reading. Stephen Hawking's book, the one that had gotten me thinking so much. I had to read it again, and was reading it a lot. I was back at the part where he was describing the machine's inner workings. He thinks the machine hangs on a cosmic string, tied like a noose around our necks. You don't have to tell me, he said. I was just curious. I didn't pull the nuke, I said. I hope I do, said the junior proudly. He had obviously been thinking about it. That's stupid, I said. No, it isn't, he said. But not just to me. The other nerds were shaking their heads and rolling their eyes. This kid was probably the kid with all the stupid theories. Every friend group has one. Do you know how a nuke kills you? You're incinerated. You probably won't even know it's coming. That's a lot better than emphysema or something. Do you know how emphysema kills you? You drown in your own mucus. You're crazy, I said. Oh, really? Why? What, did you pull emphysema? Or AIDS? Shut up, I said. I'm telling you, the nuke is the way to go. There are lots of ways a nuke can kill you, I said. Not just in the first blast, either. Do you know how radiation poisoning kills you? Say you take about a thousand rads or so. For the first few days, you're fine. You don't even know anything's wrong. You might even feel great, like you just got laid. But that's a bad example because you don't know what that's like. A couple of the other nerds giggled. But then you start getting diarrhea as the cell walls in your intestines break down and die. It's not just, I eat too many M&M's diarrhea either. It's bloody and chunky. That lasts for a few days. And then you go crazy from the pain and the diarrhea and the radiation scrambling your circulatory system and you start bleeding out of every hole in your body. I had the nerds squirming. A couple of them stood up and walked away. The junior stared at me with the same expression he probably had when his mom told him there was no such thing as Santa Claus. But you're right, I said. I hope you pull the nuke too. It's a better way to die, right? I didn't care about the rules anymore, and I wanted to make a good exit. I went over to the bleachers. I still didn't see Maggie anywhere. I asked one of her friends where she was, but her friend didn't know. She said her parents had come to take her out of school at their homeroom. She wasn't the only one, either. I heard you pulled old age, said her friend, after a few awkward moments of standing around like teenagers do. Where did you hear that? I don't know, just a rumor, I guess. People were asking me like I should know. I didn't pull old age. Nobody does. That's not true, she said. My mom's first boyfriend did. Did you actually see his cert? No, she said. Why would my mom lie about it? I don't know. I said. It just seems kind of implausible. Why? I got that question a lot. I shrugged. It's really ambiguous. So? Lots of certs are ambiguous. Don't mistake the exception for the rule, I said. What? She was getting annoyed. I got that a lot, too. 
Just because somebody gets a weird, ambiguous stare doesn't mean they all are, or even most of them. She shrugged and looked away. I was wondering, she said. Did you and Maggie do it? That's private, I said. She didn't see me blush. Yeah, she said. You know what she said about ambiguous stuff? I was thinking. I think that's what it's all about, you know? It's ambiguous for a reason. That's why nobody pulls youth. That's silly, I said. Nobody pulls old age either. Whatever, she said and shrugged and walked away. People were always walking away from me. I started to think that if I were going to live forever, I was going to be pretty lonely. I tried to call Maggie, but her parents weren't answering the phone. I went to bed sad and worried, so I snuck one of my mom's Tylenol PMs to help me sleep. That stuff gives me weird dreams. I dreamed I was standing on a charred ball of dirt, like a chunk of hamburger that sticks to the grill, all wrinkled and black and ashy. I watched the sun gutter and spit and go out, like a wick on a dead candle. It was cold. My breath came out and crystallized in front of me, a growing cloud of spiky ice. Some dreams are like an emotion magnified into a wide, flat layer and wrapped around your whole brain, so everything that happens in the dream is stained with it. I woke up in the middle of the night, convinced that I was the only person left on Earth, in the universe. Reality filtered in slowly, muffled and gray. I heard my dad snoring in the next room and pulled the blankets close. I got myself back to sleep by imagining Maggie next to me. I missed her warmth. It was happening all over the country. By the next day, the number of kids who had pulled the nuke was over a thousand. A lot of people were starting to get worried. I stopped watching the news with my parents because I couldn't stop thinking about Maggie and what was going to happen to her, or what was going to happen to all the others who had pulled it. Everybody was comparing it to 9-11. Now that we know that these people are going to die from a nuke, maybe we can do something about it. Maybe we can avoid another one. A lot of parents didn't want their kids to get their blood drawn and kept their kids home. The FBI was using the Patriot Act to get their blood by force. I started to think that Stephen Hawking was wrong, that chaos was going to win. A nuclear bomb is pretty much the definition of chaos after all. I walked to Maggie's house after school. She was anxious, but I think seeing me made her feel better. We hugged in her kitchen, and her mom and dad left the room to leave us alone. Her parents didn't mind. The boy genius, who would live forever, go console the nuclear kid. I had only been there for a few minutes when they came to test her. Her parents were furious but powerless, which made them even more furious. They looked at me when the FBI agents came to the door, as if I could do anything. Agent Williams was there with some cops and an ambulance that the government was renting out. It had a machine in the back, humming as it warmed up. I sat on Maggie's bed, waiting. I listened to her iPod. She was listening to a lot of Tori Amos lately, songs about rape and wrath. Williams came into the room and sat down on the bed, 
I muted the iPod. Tori's pounding piano ringing echoes in my ears. He looked concerned and then looked away, pretending to scrutinize the posters on Maggie's wall. It's scary, I know, he said. I didn't respond, hoping my stare would drive him away. I guess you've got it made, though. A couple of trillion years, right? I guess so, I said. There will be a lot of girls to love, he said, suddenly like he couldn't keep it in anymore, in that fragile moment where small talk cracks and shatters under the weight of bigger issues. My high school girlfriends are distant memories. Hardly ever think about them. Thanks, I said. He chuckled and said, I'm glad they're still teaching sarcasm. What are you going to do with them? I'm not going to do anything, he said. Until they tell you to. Don't make more of this than it is. Nothing like this has ever happened before. If we can see something coming, don't you think we should do something about it? What does it matter? If I'm not going to die in a nuke, what if I stay right by her? Moved in, worked from home, holed up in a bunker. I'm still not going to die of a nuke. William sighed and rubbed his eyes with his palms and sat back on the bed, resting his shoulders on Maggie's Nightmare Before Christmas poster. Jack Skellington loomed over his shoulder, grinning. He reached into his wallet and pulled out a yellow, crumpled shirt. The stamp had only been worn away, and the corners were soft and blunt. It's only fair, he said. I tried to be disinterested, but curiosity moved my hand. It was his shirt, and the cause of death was old age. I stared at him, ready to accuse him of faking it. He shook his head and took it out of my hand. He pushed play on the iPod and left me to myself. Tori sang about earthquakes. The universe began as a wad of crumpled paper. Since then, invisible hands have been smoothing it out. Stephen Hawking thinks the machines make those hands human. It makes them move faster. Nobody pulls youth because there's no ambiguity. The exception is the rule. There's so much irony that it has lost its meaning. A metaphor can kill. A homonym can predict. Nobody pulls youth because there's no joke in it. Hawking is wrong because the order is imposed. It's an ice cube made of human thought. We believe the cube freezes the lava, but it's just as hot as it was before. I poked around on the internet for a little while. The numbers were up. 3,000 now. Rumors of camps being set up in the desert. Tent cities for children. The government won't comment. The ambulance in front of Maggie's house says enough. The ambulance pulled away with Williams in the passenger seat. He saw me at the window and waved. Did he know what I was planning to do? He planted the seed after all. I took it as a blessing. Maggie came back to her room and sat down mechanically on her bed next to me. You're nervous, she said. Maggie. Always worried about me. Not worried enough about herself. I would have to worry for her. There are three heavy metal bands called Heat Death of the Universe. There are 12 books by that title and one independent movie. There are 100,000 cool hits with those words. I don't know what you're saying, she said. That FBI guy showed me his cert. 
He pulled old age. Maggie. It's true. It does happen. I held her hand. I figured it out. The exception is the rule. People pull old age, but they don't pull youth. Ambiguity is built into it. The machine doesn't tell us how we're going to die. It picks a word to describe it. It's unspecific for a reason. For what reason? You're scaring me. I don't know, I said. A joke, maybe. Or a test. You can't die of youth, but you can be shot by a young person. You can die of old age, but you can also be killed by an old person. What you pull is what you're going to die of, but it's just language. It's just words. It doesn't define anything until you start acting on it. Until you force it. We make the order out of the chaos, but the chaos is still there if we want it. That's how people deal with the certs and the machine and knowing how you're going to die. They just don't think about it. They don't act on it. They just live their lives. She didn't like my enthusiasm. It's not a joke, she said. There's nothing funny about nuclear war. Your cert doesn't say nuclear war. It says nuclear bomb. That can mean a thousand things, and only one of those is a nuclear war. Then why is everybody so worried? September 11, Hiroshima, Chernobyl. Governments can't take the risk or don't want to. I can't really blame them. Last year, 100,000 people died of influenza. I looked that up too. What if they put all those people in one place? What if they rounded them up and put them in camps? I don't know, she said, watching me talk, watching me gesture. She looked worried, maybe a little scared. I squeezed her hand. That would make something happen, Maggie. That's what takes the chaos away. That's what forces the order. It's not the certs that crystallize the order into something sharp, it's us. It's what we do with them. What does that have to do with the flu? Because if you force everybody together, then they won't just all get the flu randomly at once. That's not how it works. It would be bad, Maggie. The universe, or order, or God, or whatever, would have to impose a way on those people for them all to die of the same thing. Like bird flu, or something worse. It would be an outbreak, probably. It would be bad. But if nobody else pulled flu, it wouldn't matter. Not everybody dies of the bird flu. The cert isn't the whole story. It's just the end. It's just the last couple of words in your story. If there's a big flu outbreak, lots of other bad things will happen. Rioting and violence and food shortages. Now all those people who pulled starvation or gunshot would have the order crystallized for them too. It's going to be really bad, Maggie. But we're not talking about the flu. It's even worse. It's a nuclear bomb. I can't even imagine what's going to happen. I took a deep breath and held her other hand. I pulled heat death of the universe, but that doesn't mean I'm going to die in a centillion years. It can mean anything. It's just words. It's just the end of the story. That's what your cert can be too. The end of the story, not the whole thing. We have to go, Maggie. What are you, don't argue, okay? We have to go, far away, into the wilderness somewhere. We don't know anything about the wilderness. We'll learn. There are lots of places to hide out there. I don't want to, she said. She was starting to cry again. They're building camps in the desert, Maggie. You know that, right? Yes, she said quietly.
To put you all there, away from the rest of us? They're taking away the ambiguity. They're crystallizing the causality. They're going to make a nuke go off there, Maggie. They wouldn't do that. Would they? Oh, I don't know. I don't think so. But they won't have to. Hawking is right, but for the wrong reasons. Order is taking over because we're imposing it. The chaos is still there, but the machine lets us choose not to take it. A nuke is going to go off there because that's what all the people pulled. If you put a lot of people together with that reading, it's the only way it can happen. Oh God, she said. She was silent for a long time. And I was out of breath. Finally, she looked at me. Red rims around her eyes. We have to go, she said. I'm not sure where we'll go. Maggie suggested finding her uncle, the one out in the woods somewhere. She doesn't know exactly where he is, but he'll know more about surviving out there than we do. She has a few ideas of where he is, so we'll start there. Maggie might still be worried, but she isn't showing it. I've given her some hope, and she's given me some, too. Hawking might be right, but I don't think he is. I feel better about my own cert, too. I'm leaving the ambiguity on the table with a copy of this story. Mom, Dad, I'm sorry for taking the car and taking some money. I think you know it's for the best. Maggie and I aren't going to be slaves to order like everybody else. I understand why the government is going to put those people in the camps. I don't think they have a choice. All those people who pulled plane crash and falling and burned alive in September 11th didn't tell anyone what they got. There wasn't a database tracking them. That didn't happen because it was inevitable. It happened because of a bunch of terrorists made it happen. Nobody who died on September 11th pulled terrorism. There's no joke in it. My certificate, my reading, isn't the whole story. I'm writing it as I go day after day, with Maggie next to me. I don't know how things will go, or how we're going to survive. I only know how it ends. For more stories about the Machine of Death, visit our website, machineofdeath.net. This audio file is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means feel free to share it, send it around, or adapt it however you like, but please don't sell it. I'm Andrew Giordano. Thanks for listening.